Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done. We're considering God's work of providence. I think we can very easily find ourselves speaking about the providence of God in a rather casual manner. But I hope that you're beginning to see that it's actually a topic which in many ways lies at the very heart of what it means for God to be God and of what it means for God to be your Lord. For Christ to be King of kings and Lord of lords. When we speak, for example, of God being all-knowing, all-wise, almighty, of God having all authority. We're not talking about something in God's character which lies dormant and inactive. We're not talking about something in God which is distant and far removed from our experience day by day. All of his attributes are constantly at work in his creation. You and I are constantly the recipients of his work. There are purposes and there are reasons behind all that he does and everything that takes place within his creation only takes place because everything in creation lies under the almighty and sovereign power of this all-knowing, all-wise God who has determined all that will take place. So this, then, has a phenomenal impact on every area of your life, as we started to think about last week. As we thought, the very fact of your conception, your birth, the condition of the body with which you were born, normal development or some kind of impairment or disability, good health or poor, your personality, your natural disposition, as we call it, your talents and your aptitudes. Not only that, but even the very time and place of your birth. You were born then and there. And you live here and now because of God. That's what he has purposed for you. Don't be hankering after another age that for whatever reason seemed more rosy, more glorious. That's not where God has placed you. If he'd wanted you to live then, that's when you'd have lived. He's placed you here. Now. It's his doing. All the days that you've known so far, and all that are yet to come, they lie within and under his righteous providence that includes the family you were born into the circumstances of your childhood and youth whether you judge them as having been good or bad happy or sad all the choices that you've made in adult life nothing is random nothing is by chance all lying under the sovereign providence of an all-knowing all-wise Almighty God. And yet, at the same time, 
within that framework, God has so ordered things that you are nevertheless making choices and decisions which are according to your will and for which God holds you accountable. To our finite minds, we, we struggle to hold these two truths together. It's one of those many pa- paradoxes in the Bible. This is true and this is true and it seems difficult that these two things can exist side by side, but they do. Well, last week we were thinking about uh, things like the family that you were born into, the circumstances of your formative years, and that leads us on to taking account of another aspect of God's providence, which is that for certain people, God's providence has in view, in a very particular way, their spiritual state and their spiritual life. And he does that for certain ones in a way that he doesn't do for others. So we discover that within the providence of God, there are specific spiritual blessings and privileges that he has reserved for those who are his people, who he chose in Christ before the foundation of the world. Some of you here grew up surrounded by very considerable Christian influences. Maybe Christian parents, or at least one Christian parent. And all the things that they taught you and exposed you to regarding God and the Bible and the Gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ and what it means to be a Christian. Being taken to church or Sunday school or both in your childhood. Perhaps some of you are of an age as I am where you attended a school that had some degree of Christian ethos and content, regular Christian worship. I went to an ordinary comprehensive school where every child was given a New Testament and a hymn book to use in assembly. Don't think that happens very often today. But in God's providence, what a privilege and blessing that was for people of my generation. Listen to this difference that's stated in the Proverbs. Proverbs 3. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the just. Hear the difference? Then we have, as one example of many, the evaluation of King Abijam of Judah in 1 Kings 15. He walked in all the sins of his father which he'd done before him. His heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. So there in King Abijah, there's a man who lived under the example of an ungodly father and who grew up to be just like him. Whilst others, they live under the roof of a home upon which God's blessing rests. Now, the Bible does not teach that if you have Christian parents, you are bound to be or become a Christian. Nor does it teach that if you have ungodly parents, you can never hope to be saved. It doesn't work that way. 
in either of those positions, whatever type of home you grew up in, whatever type of background you've had, only the electing and sovereign grace of God can save you. What it does make clear, though, is that your home environment can have a very significant impact upon the rest of your life. And if you grew up in a Christian home, then in his providence, God has placed very particular blessings at your door. And he will one day require an account of you as to what you did with that blessing that he put before you. Remember what Paul said of Timothy. I can call to remembrance, said Paul, the genuine faith that's in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded is in you also. The spiritual blessing that Timothy received by God's providence. And this is in complete accord with what we read all the way back in Genesis chapter 18. Because these truths run right through the whole Bible, Old Testament and New alike. So Genesis 18 tells us, I've known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord, to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. So, in God's providence, there are households, there are children in households, and this great spiritual blessing is poured out upon them by the Lord. What amazing spiritual blessings and privileges some of you have known and continue to know today. What blessings and privileges others have rejected and cast aside. I wonder, perhaps you are a Christian who can never really remember a time when you did not know and love Christ as the one who died for your sins. Such Christians are not common, but they do exist. They think back and they can just actually, they can just never remember a time when they didn't think that Christ was the one who died for them. What a wonderful blessing that is. Not to be confused with those who think of themselves as being a Christian simply because of their upbringing. And there's plenty of those. There are some and genuinely born again saints of God who have been so from early childhood. Not common, but they exist. And all of you have been born into a time and a place that means, well, regardless of your family background, you've been blessed with free access to the Bible and to gospel preaching and to Christian churches and to public worship and to tens of thousands of good Christian books. What a contrast that is compared to others of different ages and others even today but in different parts of the world. If you were living in North Korea, for example, that would not be your experience, would it? It's all God's providence, you know. 
what blessings some of you have known by the providence of God. Or maybe you're one of those who, despite all the blessings that were around you, you fought and fought against the promptings of the Word and against the promptings of the Holy Spirit. That was me for quite a few years as a teenager. Wow, did I put up a fight. But it was never a fight I was going to win. (laughs) But one day... The spirit moved as only he can move. And he conquered you. He humbled you. He transformed you. And brought you on your knees before Christ. Maybe you are one of many who went for years and years and years with no Christian input into your life whatsoever. But the day came, nevertheless, when God so ordered things that for the very first time you were awakened to spiritual and biblical realities. And you came face to face with Christ through the gospel. And you were confronted by the truth and you were convicted of your sin. Such is God's providence, particularly for his people. We read, we've been thinking recently about the fact that everyone who's in Christ is chosen in him before the foundation of the world. They're going to be saved one day. Left to themselves, they'll never get saved. God is at work. And he's working over them. He watches them being formed in the womb and he knows this one is mine. And he watches all of their childhood and all the events that take place in their life are all in his hand. And he's watching, 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 knowing full well the how, the why, the time, the place. Now they're mine. And he calls them and he draws them. And of all that the Father has given to Christ... Christ will lose none, he said. It's the providence of God that makes that possible, you see. Spiritual blessings and privileges. How many of you know how thankful you ought to be at what God has done to bring you to Christ if that's your position this evening or maybe some of you are not yet at that place of repentance and faith but you know you know that God has his finger on you he's working and that what about the circumstances of your conversion what about that that very day when you came to Christ Was that not God's gracious work? For some, the day of their conversion, conversion, well, it all happened very quickly. For some people, it all happened within a single day. You'll find some, they'd never heard the gospel. They knew nothing. And within a space of 24 hours, they're converted. Change, man or woman. God can do that, can't he? Of course he can. 
For others, you find it was a more gradual process. Maybe over weeks, maybe over months, maybe over years. For this one, well, it just all seemed to just fall into place. But for this one, oh, what turbulent times the Lord took them through in order to bring them to repentance and faith. What a contrast, but it was no less God, no less his providence. Whatever the path, however long it took, all of you who are in Christ, you all have certain things in common. God brought you to a place where you were convicted of your sins. He brought you to a place where you had to confess your sins. He brought you to the cross in repentance of your sins. And he brought you to Christ. God's never done that for you. Then you're not a Christian. God had a very particular providence over you which brought him to himself. He has a very particular providence for the spiritual good of his redeemed people. And his redeemed people have a very special place in the purposes of God. Think of those who met with Christ in the Gospels, for example. Familiar stories that we read about. We notice that it was entirely God's doing again and again. Two of the first were Simeon and Anna, when Jesus was still only weeks old. And there they were in the temple, when Mary and Joseph travelled to the temple to give their thank offering for Christ's birth. And they were there that day, at that hour. God's providence. The woman at the well in Samaria. Christ was there. The demon-possessed man on the shores of Galilee. Blind Bartimaeus begging at the roadside. The criminal whose day of execution meant that he found himself on a cross next to Christ. How providential was that? And at the time of the apostles, the Ethiopian eunuch out on a desert road and God sent Philip out to him. Lydia and the women praying at the riverside as Paul just happens to be passing by. You think of these and so many others. None of them, none of those individuals played any part whatsoever in orchestrating those events. None whatsoever. It was all of God bringing them to a certain place at a certain time that they might be brought to Christ. And so it was for you. A friend who spoke to you. A book placed into your hand. A colleague at work who shared the gospel with you. Someone who gave you an invitation to a meeting. A grief or an affliction you were going through that caused you to stop and think about spiritual things for the very first time, maybe. A medical diagnosis. A particular sermon preached. 
a particular preacher preaching. It's amazing, you find quite a few preachers who can tell of a time when they went away on holiday and a visiting preacher arrived at their church and several people who'd been listening to them for years got saved. It happens. It's all in the Lord's providence. One's been sowing, another comes in and reaps, but it's God who gave the increase. God was at work in all of your circumstances in his salvation plan for you. All of God's glorious providence in bringing you to himself. And now, as one who is a member of his kingdom, as one who is a citizen in that royal and holy country, you enjoy God's special care and affection in this world in a way that those outside of Christ do not. Now, all are recipients of God's common grace. He's amazingly good to so many who don't deserve it. But the church has a very special place in the purposes of God. His special care and concern for his people. Romans 8.28, you know it well. All things working together for good. To those who love God. To those who love God. To those who are the called according to his purposes. Working for good to them. You can't go up to an unbeliever and tell them that God is working all things for their good the way you can say it to a Christian. You can't, you know. Those who love God. Christian believers are the focus of that verse. And that verse will be true for all who will come to Christ. That verse is waiting to be true for you if you've not yet come to Christ, you know. You can find yourself with that hope. You can find yourself with that assurance that God is working out all of his purposes for your good, for your eternal good. But you have to be in Christ. You have to have repented of your sins and be trusting in him. There are promises throughout the scripture, but they're promises for the Lord's people and for the Lord's people only. There are lots of promises that are for everybody. Most of those, actually, are regarding judgment. God brings all kinds of circumstances into your lives, all of them intended for your good, speaking to Christians now, and all of these things for the furtherance of the gospel, for the cause of the gospel. The salvation, the welfare of his people, the church, has this particular providence this particular place in the providence of God. But Romans 8.28 wasn't something new for the New Testament age. That's always been true for all who belong to God by faith. If it were possible to get in a time machine and go back into the Old Testament, you could go to the Lord's people and quote Romans 8.28 to them and it would be true for them. 
We see God protecting and preserving his people when ordinarily they would perish. And one of the great things about the Old Testament is you can read all these wonderful accounts of the providence of God at work amongst his people to encourage you and to give you hope and confidence in him. All the events in the lives of Abraham and Lot and Isaac and Jacob, over and over again you see the providence of God at work, saving, preserving, keeping, forgiving and restoring. The manna on the ground in the wilderness, the water that gushed out of rocks, clothes that didn't work out, wear out for 40 years wandering in the wilderness. The victory of Gideon's 300 men against a vast army as that army turned on itself and defeated itself. All the events in Samson's life that led to that final day when leaning against the pillars in the temple, he was able to pull down the temple of the Philistines and thousands with it. The victory granted to David against Goliath and Israel against the walls of Jericho. The miraculous provision of God for Elijah and Elisha. The preservation of Daniel in the lion's den and his three friends in the fiery furnace. When Nebuchadnezzar said, this, we only put three men in, but I see four. And the fourth is like the image of the Son of Man. Who was that in the furnace with them? It was Christ. His providence sovereignly at work over them. The saving of, of God's people in the story of Esther that we considered with the children just recently. And how can you not fail to see the guiding, protecting hand of God in the life of the likes of the Apostle Paul as you read through the Acts and you read his letters, and you follow his conversion and his ministry in the New Testament. How can you not fail to see the almighty hand of God at work. These blessings have always been the privileges of God's chosen people. And he works for them in a way that he does not work for all of mankind. Let me take you on a brief journey for just a few minutes through a selection of some verses. And if you're a Christian... Be reassured again as you hear of the very special place that you have in the will and the purposes of God. Jeremiah tells us, I am with you, says the Lord, to save you. Though I make a full end of all nations where I have scattered you, yet I will not make a complete end of you. See the difference? I will correct you in justice and will not let you go altogether unpunished. So God might move sometimes. Sometimes the Lord's people need chastising to bring them back again. In the Psalms, behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. In Isaiah, no weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. 
I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in your place, since you were precious in my sight. You have been honoured. I have loved you. Therefore I will give men for you and people for your life. Fear not. I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. Amos. Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are on the, are on the sinful kingdom and I will destroy it from the face of the earth. Yet I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, says the Lord. Surely I will command and will sift the house of Israel among all nations as grain is sifted in a sieve, yet not the smallest grain shall fall to the ground. So you see, as we get to the New Testament and we get this teaching of the apostles, like in Romans 8.28, we actually discover that this same love and care and concern that we've been reading about in the Old Testament is now being applied to the Lord's people in the New Testament. Some of the vocabulary has changed. Rather than speaking in the language of the Lord God of Israel or the Lord of hosts, we find these things now being spoken of in relation to Christ. He has a universal empire over all things. Paul says to the Ephesians, He put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. You have this very special place in the purposes of God. Now Christ is the head of the whole world. He has this overarching power and authority and dominion over every created thing. But he is the head of the church in a very special and unique way. By way of each one of us being in union with him. By that special influence of the work of his Holy Spirit. Who does, who does Christ promise to be with those who gather in his name? Listen to Jesus as he prays. Let me bring you two verses from John chapter 17 where we have recorded for us that remarkable prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's praying to his heavenly Father for and about the church. He says this, You have given your Son authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. So Christ has authority over all things and all people, but his particular concern is to bring to salvation and to bring to eternal life all those for whom he died or would die. I pray for them, he says. Listen, these are Christ's words. I do not pray for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. You have 
a very unique and special place in the very heart of Christ because you're his church. He's the saviour of all men, Paul would write to Timothy, especially of those that believe. Do you believe? The church is his special care and charge. He rules the world for the good of his church. She is, after all, pictured as the bride of Christ adorned for her husband in the Revelation. What love and devotion and affection God has for his people. How deep is God's desire over you? Now, having said all that, this does not guarantee a life of ease. It does not bring immunity from all of this life's sorrows and afflictions. But as Paul discovered with his thorn in the flesh, and in all of his trials and sufferings, he learned again and again that the power and the grace of God were sufficient to keep and sustain him. And that all of the situations that he found himself in, they proved to be for the furtherance of the gospel. They proved to be for the strengthening of the church. They proved to be for the exaltation of Christ and for the glory of God. And we'll conclude our considerations of God's providence next week by thinking particularly about those hard and difficult providences that God may bring. And Christian, you have this promise also. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. You'll have all the trials and difficulties and worries and cares that everyone out there has, but God is faithful. And you know that faithfulness of God. You've experienced the faithfulness of God. You can lean upon the faithfulness of God. And he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Now, how can he do that if he is not all-powerful and almighty and ordering all things in your life? With the temptation... He'll also, if you need it, make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Because his hand is over you in all things, in every circumstance. He has not forsaken you. He will not abandon you. There is no circumstance that will separate you from his love, no matter how hard it may be. How can you ever doubt such a promise? when you pause to consider the overwhelming evidence of a God whose plans and purposes for his own special people lie at the very heart of all that he's doing in this world, that through them he might be glorified. How can you ever go through a day and not have a reason not to thank or praise him? Would you lie awake at night Overwhelmed by anxiety at what the morning may bring? Don't worry about your life. What you will eat. What you will drink. About your body. What you will wear. 
Is not life more than food? Is not the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap. They don't gather into barns. But your heavenly Father feeds them. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to your stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't toil, they don't spin. But even Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed like these. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, but then tomorrow, it's gone. Will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, don't worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Or for some of you, maybe, what shall we do? Or for some of you, maybe, how will I cope? After all these things the Gentiles seek, your heavenly Father knows you need all these things. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Because the almighty, all-knowing, all-wise God loves you, cares for you, will never forsake you. And you have a very special place in his eternal providence. Our gracious and loving God and Father, teach us again, O Lord, what it is to abide in Christ and to know his abiding love in our hearts. Grant us, O Lord, assurance and confidence in all that we have in Christ to know that all of our days are in his hand, that there is none that may snatch us from him. May he be our hope, our confidence, and all our trust to his praise and glory. And in his name we pray. Amen.